glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's go to John chapter 3. Again, we want to uh, welcome all of you that are here today. Some of you are brand new faces to me, and it's good to see you here. And uh, trust that you'll come back again and again and again. And uh, you that are here for the first time, we thank the Lord for you being here. Please come back when the real preacher will be here. Pastor will be back. And uh, so be sure and come back. John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, read down through verse 15, if you will. And uh, we'll take our text from here this morning and trust that God will use His Word to speak to every heart. You know, there's... I don't care where you look or listen, there's, there's problems and trouble and people having uh, heartache and sorrow everywhere you go. Uh, back home, we live in, in Kentucky where we live, just two hours east of us, they've had uh, record-breaking uh, rains and flooding. I think there's already a death toll of at least 25 people, another 20-some still missing. I was just over in that area last week in a meeting. And it's a very poor area, one of the poorest areas in the United States in the eastern Appalachian, Appalachian area. Uh, and I thought about that in the misery and the trouble that all those people are going through. And, and then, of course, different places and different things and whatever you're going through today. Uh, but, you know, the, the greatest problem that people have, and most of them don't even realize it, is this matter of where they're going to go when they die. I don't care what you're going through in life. When you die, then you're going to step into eternity. The Bible says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So we can listen on the news all day long about the economy and the politics and all the junk that's going on today. But the thing that's most important is, do you know for certain when you draw your last breath, where you're going to wake up. The Bible makes it clear there is an eternity and we either die and are in the presence of the Lord in heaven or we die lost and go to hell. Now that's what Jesus taught. I'm not going to question Jesus. I'll take his word for it. Amen. You question him if you want to, but you'll still answer to God for that. But I believe that with all my heart that once we leave this world, we are going to step out into eternity, either saved by the grace of God or lost forever and ever and go to a devil's hell. This morning, this message, I trust, will be simple and understandable to you. If you're here and you're not saved or maybe you're not certain you're saved, our heart's desire is that you know, you know that you're saved. God's will is for you to be saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I trust this morning, if you're here and you have that need in your life to be saved, to get ready uh, to meet the Lord, to be right with God, I trust that God will speak to your heart. Let's pray. Well, let's read. We'll read the verses and then we'll pray this morning. John, if you got your Bible, I hope you'll follow along. Gospel of John. Chapter 3, why don't we stand one more time, let you stretch your legs and uh, get your exercise before you take your nap here in the next few minutes. And we'll, we'll read the scripture and then we'll pray and then you can be seated. 
Gospel John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to notice verse 14 where Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness. I want to preach this morning about that serpent in the wilderness for a little while this morning. You pray with us and ask God to help us. We need his help today. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful, beautiful day you've given us. We thank you for this country we live in where we have the freedom to assemble and to worship and proclaim your word, your gospel. Thank you for each one that's here this morning. And dear God, they could have been in a lot of places, but they've chosen to be here. And we thank you for that. And I pray, dear God, today that our time here would not be futile, it would not be in vain, that that Holy Spirit of God, you would work in our midst today. I pray, oh God, please fill me afresh and anew, Lord, that I might speak as you'd have me to speak. Your word of God might go forth in power. And dear Lord, that you'd work in our hearts and we might receive it as it is, the word of God and not the words of a man. Lord, I pray if there's one here unsaved today, oh, Lord, they'd see their need and trust Christ as their Savior. Help us who are saved rejoice in the fact that we know we've passed from death into life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this this precious time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This is quite a discourse, and there's so many things that can be said and taught and preached out of these verses that we've read. I want to give you just a, an overview of some things that we've seen here um, in uh, the in, in speaking, looking at the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to think about that for a minute. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. 
And Jesus begins to speak to this religious leader, this religious authority. He begins to speak with absolute authority. Amen. One of the things that is very important for us to grasp and understand is the authority, number one, of God, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the authority of the Word of God. I believe we literally have in our hands the Word of God in print. I believe that with all my heart. And so when I speak this morning from the Word of God, I'm not speaking with my authority. I'm speaking from the authority of God. When Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again, that was an authoritative statement. Amen. Uh, And he said that, and Christ has the authority to say that. In other words, if we're going to see the kingdom of God, if we're going to have eternal life, we must be born again. Again, you say, well, I don't have to be born again to go to heaven. Jesus said, ye must be born again. He is the authority. Jesus likens salvation to a birth here in verses 1 through 7. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Uh, and a birth, of course, is something uh, that takes place at a specific time, at a specific place. And salvation is that way. Uh, we're saved. There is a certain, there's a specific time when you trust Christ as your Savior. You've passed from death unto life and you've been born again in the family of God. Many of you, I'm sure, can go and, and you could say, I was saved on this day. I know for myself, I was saved on November the 7th, 1971 at about five minutes till 11 on a Sunday morning. I was born again into the family of God. That's the day. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, and he birthed me into the family of God. I didn't birth myself. He birthed me into the family, and salvation is that way. And I'm glad, thank God, he likens it to a birth. Then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus speaks of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, and we're going to look at that account in the Old Testament in Numbers 21 in a few minutes. But what Jesus is likening salvation to in these two verses is to a cure, a miraculous cure. We're going to see in Numbers 21 those people were bitten in the camp by fiery serpents and were dying, and we'll see all of that. But he likens salvation to an instantaneous cure. We'll say more about that a little later. In John chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17, look there if you will. For God so loved the world, Jesus is still speaking here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He said for God so loved the world that he gave. God, Jesus likened salvation to a Gift, And we talked about that in Sunday school, how salvation is a gift. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift that's been provided by God. It's been offered to every sinner, every boy, every man, every woman, every child. And it's bought and paid for with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I can have that gift if we're willing to receive it. Thank God we don't have to pay for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to make installment plans on it. It's bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. He likened salvation to a gift. And then, if you will, in verse 18, Jesus said this, For he that believeth on, he that believeth on him, that's Christ, is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned 
already. You say, what do I have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Just die. Because the Bible said we are already condemned. We're already guilty before God. We are all sinners. We have all come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. He said this, he that believeth on him is not condemned. I am condemned before God as a lost sinner without God. And if I die in that condemned state, then I must I must face the judgment and go to hell. But the Bible says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The Bible makes it clear here. Salvation is likened to a pardon. When we get saved, we before we're saved, we stand condemned before God. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven. We are justified in the sight of God, which means we've been made just as if we'd never sinned or ever been a sinner. And we stand pardoned before God. Salvation is likened to a pardon. So four pictures here of salvation, a birth, a cure, a gift of eternal life, and a pardon. The truth of the matter is we need all of that. Amen. Every person on this planet needs Jesus Christ. Now notice, go to Numbers chapter 21. Jesus says Nicodemus here, right out of the blue, he just says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now, Nicodemus was a student of the word of God. He would have known immediately, immediately he would have known the story that was behind what Jesus was saying here. His mind would have went back to Numbers 21 in the historical account of what took place amongst the children of Israel as they was wandering through the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. And his mind would go back to that, and he would have known clearly, probably had the passage memorized, and the Bible's Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is going back and he's taking a historical event in the nation of Israel and he's, he's wanting to drive home a point to Nicodemus concerning himself. But I want you to go back to Numbers 21, if you will. Back there in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. And uh, we'll look at this account. It's not a very long account in the record, uh, but we'll look at it here and read it just for a moment and try to learn some things this morning about the importance and the significance uh, of this story. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. The Bible said, And they, that's the children of Israel, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Now notice here, the children of Israel, God has delivered them out of Egypt. And he's headed toward Canaan land, the land of promise. They're in the wilderness journeying, and they begin to speak against God. It's interesting God takes notice of those kind of things. You know, we live in a world where people don't give a thought about speaking against God. We live in a world where people take the name of God in vain, the Lord in vain, and never give it a thought. But i got news for you. God does. God does. 
And notice here, he said, the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore, and here's what they were saying, Wherefore have you brought us out up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth the, this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. In other words, God, in response to the people murmuring against him and against Moses, sends in these fiery serpents. Now, I've done some reading about these fiery serpents. Some people say we're called fiery serpents because of their color. Some say it was because of the, once they bit you, uh, it was the poison made you feel like you were on fire. I guess it doesn't really matter. Uh, but God calls them fiery serpents. And, uh, and so these fiery serpents represents the judgment of God on the people in the midst of the camp because of their sin. He said in verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now what you have in this serpent of brass upon this pole is a, a representation of the miraculous curing power of God. As a matter of fact, if you look on, a, on an ambulance or a medical bag, sometimes medical equipment, you'll see a pole with a serpent wrapped around it. How many of you ever seen that? You know where that came from? It came from the Bible. It came from the Word of God. Now, Jesus refers to this story and Moses lifting up this serpent, uh, this brass serpent uh, on the, in the wilderness there. And uh, there's a reason for that, and there's a lesson here for us to understand in this account uh, of the illustration uh, that Jesus gives. Now, first of all, let me just say that this, this, these people uh, have been bitten by these fiery servants, serpents because of their disobedience. They've disobeyed God, they've sinned against God, and therefore uh, God brings in judgment upon them. Uh, they are dying because they've been bitten. They're poisoned by these serpents. And then they're helpless to save themselves. Amen? They're all helpless to save themselves. They try to save themselves. There's no helping. They're dropping dead one by one. And uh, they realize the dilemma they're in, and they're helpless to save themselves. And they come to Moses and say, pray for us that God removes these serpents from us. Moses prayed, but did you notice? The Bible doesn't say God removed the serpents. 
didn't say that. It said God instructed Moses to take a, a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and lift it up. Now, what we have here, there are people that lived through this. Many of them died because they were poisoned by the serpents and they died. But many of them, when they did what was instructed by God and what when they looked upon what God had provided, God provided a means of life. God provided a cure for the bite. Amen. He provided a, a cure for the poison that was in their system and they lived. God provided life and a cure, a miraculous cure for them. God provided it. Moses didn't provide it. God provided it. We sing a song sometime called Look and Live. My brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. And boy, if there's ever a story that illustrates that song, here it is. These people simply looked and they lived. Amen? Now, uh, you say, well, what's the significance of these things? Well, when you think of a serpent, what do you think of? You think of the devil, amen. You think of you think of deception, you think of corruption, you think of sin and deceit. And uh, these these people here, they've been bitten by those serpents. And uh, when you think of that, you think of what the Bible says about sin and mankind. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I have all been bitten by the serpent called sin. We've all got the poison in us, amen. You say, well, I don't have any sin in me. Well, God also covered that. He said all men are liars. So uh, God got that one covered for you. Amen. We're all sinners. The Bible says uh, that we're born sinners. Amen. Every one of us are born with a sinful nature. Nobody had to teach me how to tell a lie. I came by it naturally. Nobody had to teach you to do it either. We are all sinners by birth. And as we as we grow, we're sinners by choice. We're sinners by nature, every single one of us. We've all been bitten by this thing called sin. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. That one man was Adam. And death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Amen. All of us are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. There's no exceptions to the rule here. We all have the same problem. We have been poisoned by Sin and death passed upon all men. You know what sin's doing? Sin's killing us. Sin's killing us. You know why it is appointed unto man once to die and after this judgment? We're going to die because we've sinned. One of the great proofs that the Bible's true is a graveyard. God gets the final say. All through Genesis, there's accounts there, and he died, and he died, and he died. And he died. You know why we die? Because we're sinners. We have sin. I'm glad this morning, though, that there is a cure for sin. That serpent on the pole, that brass, in typology, brass is a type of judgment. It's a picture of judgment. Uh, and, and typically, the serpent is a picture of sin, Satan. And so what you have here is you have a picture on this pole of a serpent or that which is sin being judged on that pole. Now, that serpent on that pole has no poison in it. It's made of brass. You know what that serpent represents? On that pole, it represents Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was a man, 
but he had no sin. The Bible said he knew no sin. He had no sin. And yet Jesus Christ was judged for our sin. The Bible makes it clear. Uh, look in Isaiah 53 for a moment. Let me show you something here. You're probably familiar with it. But it's such a powerful passage of Scripture. I want you to listen to this matter of Jesus Christ being judged for our sin, my sin and your sin. The Bible said in verse 53, chapter 53, verse 1 of Isaiah, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now this is speaking of Jesus Christ, prophesied 700 years before he's born. The Bible said he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And what we want to get in our minds here is a picture of Calvary, Jesus hanging on the cross. He's hanging there not for his sin, but for ours. He's hanging there in your place and hanging there in my place. Notice the writer says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know what sin does in our lives? It brings grief. It brings sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus went to the cross... He bore a crown of thorns on his head, but he bore our sins in his body. He was judged by God, not because of his sins, but because of ours, because of mine and because of yours. How vile, how wicked is sin. Vile enough to put the innocent, perfect, sinless, holy, eternal Son of God on a cross. That's how vile it is. That's how wicked it is. Hollywood makes us laugh at it, makes light of it, but God Almighty takes it seriously. We see the price of our sin when we see Jesus hanging on that tree. So we need to see here, just like these Israelites saw in this camp, they said, we have sinned. We've sinned. We have, we have, we are at enmity with God. We have crossed God. We are guilty before God. You know, in order for a person to be saved, that's what they've got to come to the conclusion of. You can't get saved until you're lost. You can't have forgiveness of your sin until you know that you have sinned. You can't say, I'm a sinner that's been uh, redeemed by the grace of God until you admit you are a sinner. Amen. One of the hardest things for people to admit is that they are a sinner before Almighty God. 
Most people would think, well, I'm pretty good. You know, I think I'm going to get to heaven because my, my good is going to outweigh my bad and I'm going to make it. There's a little spark of divinity in me. No, there's not. There's none good. No, not one. None of us. We're all guilty of sin. And it's a blessed day when we can arrive to the, the fact and admit to ourselves and to God, I have sinned. Because I've sinned, I'm going to be judged. That's a good starting point. Amen. Notice, when Moses prayed for these people, they said, pray for us, that God remove the serpents. That wasn't God's plan. God said, I'm going to provide a cure. I'm going to provide a cure. And so he told Moses to make that serpent of brass and, uh, He said, I want you to lift it up. And he put it on a pole of brass so that everybody from one end of the camp to the other, the camp was a large camp, approximately two million people in that camp, and he wanted it lifted up high enough that everyone could see it. Amen. Anyone that had been bitten by that fiery serpent and knew that they were going to die, if they were, if they could look from wherever they were at, they could look and see that serpent on that pole. And Moses instructed the people, if you'll look upon the serpent, you'll live. How simple is that? Jesus said back in John 3, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about? He's talking about when he's going to die on the cross. He's speaking about, uh, he's prophesying about his crucifixion. He's telling Nicodemus in John 3, three and a half years before the event takes place, he's saying there's going to come a time when I'm going to be lifted up for all men to see just like that serpent on on that pole in the wilderness was lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. He's also testifying about salvation just as men looked upon that serpent on that pole and were saved. So those who look upon me on the cross can be saved. Amen. God's plan, God's provision, and God's power in that camp that day was all right here in this passage. Put a serpent on a pole, lift it up, and whosoever will look. Now what that look had to be, it had to be a look of obedience. They had to do what they were told. Amen? Number two, it had to be a look of faith. They had to believe whatever I've been told. I'm trusting it to work. I don't understand it, but I'm trusting it to work. Amen? You know, when you get saved, you know what you do? You have to realize, number one, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against God. I need saving. I need a cure. I need cleansing. I need, I need deliverance. And then when God says, here's where your deliverance is, It's in the one who died on the cross for your sin. Amen. And if you look to him by faith, put your trust in him by faith, he will do the saving. I've thought about a scenario in that camp. I've thought about those sitting around in that camp. I wonder how many of them heard the message, look and live, and didn't do it. You ever wonder about that? You ever wonder about how many people hear the message of the gospel 
The salvation is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was buried. He, he lived. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again bodily from the grave. And as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. How many people that are dying in their sin, in their misery, in their sin, and going to drop into hell How many people are going to hear that message and never look to the cross? Maybe somebody sitting in here this morning. This may not be the first time you've heard this. Jesus died for you and can save your soul. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the whole world. I wonder if there's someone here this morning, you've heard that message, but you and you're dying of the poison of sin in your life but you still have not looked by faith to him and trusted him. Think about that. wonder how many in that camp did that that day. You ever think about that? I like to think about those kind of things. I wonder if there were some that sat around and they're swelling up and they're on fire inside and their throat's dry and their heartbeat is speeding up and their eyelids are drooping and they're sitting around saying, I don't need that. I'm okay. It's amazing to me. The people that are dying in their sin are are living in the effects of their sin and they still tell you, I don't need the gospel. I don't need Jesus Christ. I mean, sin has conquered them. Sin is controlling them. Sin is destroying their lives and they can look right, look you right in the eyeball and say, I don't need the gospel. I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus Christ. They're just in a state of denial. Say, boy, that would have been crazy that day to sit in that camp, be bitten by that serpent and dying with poison and someone say, all you got to do is look and live and say, well, I don't need that. You ever known anybody like that? I think it's a possibility. The reason I think it's a possibility because you run into people that way every day out here that need the gospel and don't believe they need it. Then there might be the guy not, maybe one, maybe one fellow said, I don't need it. There may be, maybe another fellow just said, I don't want it. I don't want it. You ever tried to give someone the gospel and they say, I don't want it? I want to do it. Oh, I'm bitten with poison. You know, I've got sin in me, but I don't, I don't want that for whatever reason. They don't want that. Maybe the tough guy that thinks, hey, hey, I can handle it in hell. All my friends will be there. We'll just party in hell. I don't want that. You got a great surprise coming. But it's possible someone's in that camp that day. Well, said, did you hear Moses? Moses said, if we'd look, we can live. And somebody said, I don't want it. What's going to happen to him? He may not want it, but what's going to happen to him? He's going to die. People may not want the gospel, but they'll die and go to hell without it. So there's the guy that said, I don't need it. Another one said, I don't want it. And then there's the other one who just said, I don't believe it. I don't believe that business. I've been bitten by this snake. I've heard about these snakes before. And it's one of those snakes in just an hour or two, you're going you're gonna to swell up and die. And I do not believe for one minute that just simply looking at a serpent on a pole is going to save me. 
I can't accept the simplicity of that statement. Amen. You know, there are people that refuse to get saved because they just can't believe that Jesus Christ, the simplicity they putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary is sufficient to save our soul. I can't believe that. That go, I've got more intelligence than to believe something that stupid. I mean, you must be one of those country hicks from down there in Kentucky to believe that. You, you're not sophisticated and educated as I am. I don't believe it. You'll die and go to hell if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how much it makes sense to you or doesn't make sense to you. Bible, The Bible says, listen, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct thy path. God's ways are above our ways. The natural man receiveth not the things of God. Listen, salvation is in a person. Salvation is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a finished work. It's what Jesus did on Calvary. It's bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been accepted and approved by God. And the resurrection proves that. And there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There were probably some that said, I just don't believe it. You know what they did? They died. They died. Then there's that fellow that says, well, I need it. I need it bad. And I I believe it. But I'm going to wait a while. Not right now. You fellows that talk to people about the Lord, how many of you know people say that? Oh, yeah, that's so, but not, not yet. Not right now. I'm not ready yet. People give that, give that response to the gospel all the time. You may be here this morning. You may have heard the gospel before and you, you've come to the place where you know you're a sinner. You know what I'm telling you is true. Listen, I went through that as a 15 year old teenager. I went to church and I listened to the message first time I ever heard it and I listened to the message and I thought about it and I went back and I heard it again and I went back and I heard it again and I went back and heard it again and every time I went, God speaking to my heart, the message of the gospel is getting clearer. I'm to the point where I'm convinced if I draw my last breath as a 15-year-old teenager, I'm going to split hell wide open. I know it's so, but I'm not ready. Well, why not? Well, one of the reasons is Jesus went on to say in this in John chapter 3, men love darkness rather than light. Those are deeds of evil. I love my sin. Pleasure and sin for a season. Amen. Love my sin. And many people put off getting saved. They know they need to be saved. They know how to be saved. They know that salvation is in the Lord, but not yet. Not yet. Well, the problem with that is, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Well, I'll get saved tomorrow. You may not live till tomorrow. Am I right? I was reading in the news yesterday about the, a family had four small children. They lived in one of those hollers up there in eastern Kentucky. And that rain came overnight. They got eight inches of, na- of rain in one evening, one night. 
If you understand anything about those hills, there, there are a lot of them that come down into it. There's a little old creek runs in between in those valleys down there. And when that rain comes like that, it comes down those hills and, and it starts collecting in that creek and all of a sudden you've got a tidal wave coming down through that holler. And people lived in those hollers. And one family had four little children. That, ra- that wave caught them in their sleep. And they all died. Six in one family. I'm saying, you know what? They did not go to bed that night and tuck those little kids in thinking they were all going to perish by morning. But they did. You say, well, you know what? I believe what you're saying is preacher, and that's, and that's true, and, 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 but not, not now, not now. The Bible said, behold, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. You have no guarantee. I have no. I'm planning on getting on a plane in the morning at six o'clock. Well, actually, five thirty. But I may not live till then, and you may not live till then. And if you die in your sin, you wake up in hell. I'm glad I'm saved. I'll wake up in heaven, not by my goodness, but because of God's grace. I'm telling you what, I like pillowing my head at night, knowing if I don't wake up in the morning, I will be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So there's that crowd. Some of them probably just said, I don't need it. Some said, I don't want it. Some said, I don't believe it. Some said, not right now. Then there's a religious crowd said, I think I've got a better plan. I, you know what I think we need to do? I think, I think we need to get some water over here and douse ourselves with water. Maybe even immerse ourselves in water. That'll do it. Maybe we just need to be more determined to go to the tabernacle when it's time to go. Uh, Maybe we need to read our Old Testament scripture more often. Uh, Maybe I need to start treating my neighbor a little better. That may be it. In other words, try all kinds of works of righteousness. A lot of people get convicted of their sin. First thing they do is go out and try to get them a religion. Religion won't keep you out of hell. Only salvation will do that. Amen. You can try everything under the sun, my friend, but the only cure is to look. To look. The only cure for our sin is not religion. My friend, you can join every Baptist church in the state. won't do you any good. You can get baptized backwards and forward until the bullfrogs know your social security number. But it won't save your soul. You can take communion, you can make confession, you can memorize the Bible, you can do all the good works you want to do, but the Bible said it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. The Bible said all of our, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. So, that crowd said, you know what, I think there's got to be a better plan. This, this surely can't work. And so they tried something else and died. And then, I'm sure there was a crowd that regretted it. They waited too late at the last moment, drew their last breath, died. If you don't get saved, well, you have an opportunity. That will happen to you someday. doesn't matter who you are. I'm not saying that to be ugly, to be mean. I promise you. Greatest thing ever happened to you in your life is that you trust Christ your Savior and get born again in the family of God and 
get the gift of eternal life and know that things are all right between you and God. Greatest thing ever happened to you in your life. The greatest thing ever happened to you in eternity. Because that's where it's really going to count. Amen. Now let me ask you a couple questions and we're going to stand. Do you know, do you know that you're saved? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt if you drop dead in your seat right now, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord? Do you know that? Paul said, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said, it's the power of God and salvation everyone that believeth the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You say, can you know? The Bible said in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know. You can know you're saved. You reckon those people that looked that morning in that camp and all of a sudden the poison had no longer effect on them. Their, their heart rate slowed back down. Their breathing is now normal again and they're feeling just fine. You reckon they know they got saved? Sure. You can know you're saved. God wants you to know you're saved. But if you don't know you are, you can be. And you can know. Amen. I like to ask people these two questions. Number one, do you know if you're saved? And if you don't know, would you like to know? If you could know, would you want to? Would you want to? You see, salvation is a very personal matter. My wife's saved. Thank God she's saved. Truth of the matter is, I'm not saved because she wanted to be saved. She's not saved because I want to be saved. We're saved because both of us chose individually to be saved. Amen? It's a personal matter. It's a very personal matter. But it's also something else. It's a matter of the free will of man. Now, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. I'm the preacher up here this morning. I promise you it's my will for you to be saved. I want you to be saved. These people that are saved want you to be saved. But you've got a will of your own. You've got to choose whether or not you want to be saved. If you make that choice, God will save you if you'll come by faith to trust in Christ. If you choose not to be saved, someone said God's a perfect gentleman. He'll never cross the threshold of your will. In other words, if you get saved, it'll be because you invite him. Amen. You ask him. Amen. He won't break your door down. He won't make you do it against your will. You have to be willing for whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Mm-hmm.